Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And drum roll, please, because it's time for the one and only Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Hope you're doing good, buddy. Um, listen, man, I just got hit in the head uh, by a can of Coke. Yeah, good thing it was a soft drink. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That's a good one. Still laughing. Might even tell that one myself at holiday parties. Thank you, Duff. Uh, it's great to have a, a rock and roll Hall of Famer calling in every week to uh, tell dumb jokes, waiting for Guns N' Roses to go back on tour, as we are for many bands. Uh, but Duff is always here for us, and that joke might be worth a little extra something-something for Santa as well. Speaking of Santa, it's not too late to treat yourself this holiday season by booking a cabin for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover. We're setting sail on March 14th. Have the vacation of a lifetime. Even you can give it to yourself. Book your cabin now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Come and join an amazing lineup of talent and special guests featuring all elite wrestling. Guest of honor, Mark Henry. Guest cruise director, Mickey James. Guest host, Gallows and Anderson. Director of laughs, Brad Williams. King Haku, Brutus Beefcake, Mike Rotunda, Mick Foley, Nick Aldis, Dan Lambert, Shaw Guerrero and the Vaudettes. Jordan Grace, Brian Myers, and Matt Cardona doing a major action figure wrestling podcast live on board. Dave Schrader from Darkest Radio to give you all the paranormal scares you can uh, handle. Fozzie, Quiet Riot, Royal Bliss, Raven, the band, New Wave of British Heavy Metal, Pioneers, Gutter Candy featuring Frank Gazarin, so many more. Probably the best lineup yet. Come join the fun. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and book your cabin today. And the fun continues here on Talk is Jericho. Jay Letha, who does a mean macho man Randy Savage impression, brings his impression skills and so many other great stories about black machismo, about Ric Flair, and finally about signing with AEW. He talks in detail about the surprise shutdown of Ring of Honor and why it shocked the whole roster. He also remembers his time at Impact Wrestling, the origin of the black machismo gimmick. I loved it what it was like working with Ric Flair and what led to his departure from the company. He also talks about WWE and why he never considered that an option for himself. It's time to go with Jay Lethal right here on Talk is Jericho. So here with the uh, brand new addition to the AEW roster, a little bit almost of a surprise with Jay Lethal. And um, I was kind of shocked. It was awesome to see you. It was uh, in Minneapolis at the pay-per-view, and it was it was something that Tony had told me about a couple days before, and I just thought, like, wow, to me, finally, the dude's going to get a shot to really make a mark uh, here kind of on a national basis. So kind of talk to us how you got this offer and how you ended up in AEW, Jay. First of all, I'm super excited because I'm getting interviewed. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you have no idea, and you must hear this all the time. Like, oh man, I'm such a big fan of yours. I was a big fan of yours, and I thought to myself, don't say that to him because, although it is probably cool to hear, but it probably makes you feel old because sometimes when people say that to me, I'm like, what do you mean you've been watching me when you grew up? Like, <laughs> oh, I don't, not that old. So I'm like, oh my god. So how tired of you are hearing that? Well, actually, honestly, and this is coming from a total true standpoint. Never. Never? Right. Okay, Never. that's because good to it hear. Because it shows that your, you know, your life's work, if if you want to call it that, paid off. And that people, you know, uh, that you influenced uh, really appreciated what you did. You know, I just did a thing this morning for Bret Hart. I inducted him into the Canada's uh, uh, Walk of Fame. 
And I talked about that, how Brett was always cool with the young guys and the advice that Brett gave me through the years right. helped me become a future champion. Mm. So if I could have the same effect to some people, that's a very cool thing. Okay. All right. Not to turn this around no, 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 and no. make this Not my interview of you, <laughs> uh, but to answer your question. Talk is Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never tried a Chris Jericho impression, but I bet I, I, bet yeah. I got one in me. We'll get into okay. that. <laughs> Uh, so I've been with I was with Ring of Honor for gosh over ten years, um, and as most people know, they dropped a bomb on the roster, letting them know that uh, they weren't going to be renewing anyone's contract, and they were thinking about how to revamp the company. They were going to take the first quarter off, um, and that was a big bomb, a uh, real wake up call for a lot of people uh, on the roster. Um, so as soon as I heard that, I started instantly thinking, well. I got two more checks in the can coming, uh, and this is just real talk. You know, I got, I got two more checks coming. Um, what am I going to do? So I started thinking. I, I always thought that I was going to have my last match with Ring of Honor. Mm. I, I've ever since I've started my career, and we'll back up a little bit. Um, I started in Ring of Honor in 2002. I was there in 2002, 2003. And then uh, Impact Wrestling offered me my first contract. Um, and so while I was at Impact Wrestling for about seven years, um, there was two times where my contract had come up and they were thinking about re-signing me. And uh, I was like, well, I've always wanted to go to WWF or WWE. And, you know, most people from my generation, that WWF or WWE mm -hmm. helped create love for professional wrestling. And my dad, which I never told many people this, but uh, my dad was always like, uh, don't go there. They're like well, where you are is cool. Like they're using you, and they like, yeah, you're you're fine. So I was like, you know what, I I am. So I stayed at Impact Wrestling for about seven years, and I'm an extremely loyal person. My dad was like, I never want you to become this person that just gets sold to the highest bidder. Um, so I stayed at Impact Wrestling, and I literally thought while there, I'm going to stay here until the doors close. And I got to do that thing with Ric Flair, which was awesome, which we'll probably get yeah. into. And uh, right after that, they called me and let me go. And I, I got an interesting story about how they let me go. We'll talk about that, too, if you would like. Uh, Terry Taylor was the one who wow. called me. Um, so then as soon as they closed the doors, well, as soon as they got rid of me, um, I was good friends with the owner at the time of Ring of Honor. His name was Carrie Silken. Right. Uh, so I called Carrie, and uh, he was like, yeah, come on back. And the Bucks actually were good friends with Carrie as well. And they were like, yeah, you should go back to Ring of Honor. Um, big things are about to happen. So I went back to Ring of Honor, and then they got bought out. Um, and then by Sinclair by was Sinclair. a big television conglomerate, right? Huge, yeah. huge. Uh, and then that's when people really started being able to make a living working with Ring of Honor. Before they were, you know, Carrie was doing as best he could, Carrie Silken, but uh, it was just a booking little month little money this month little money that sure, month sure. but now owned by sinclair now you could make a living you know um so then i stayed in ring of honor there were two or three instances where i could potentially try and go to the wwe and of course there's my dad and his voice in the back of my head you you've already made it people around the world know who you are you're living your dream and ring of honor has treated you well um why would you reward them by leaving and i said you're, you're absolutely right so Man, and my dad loved Ring of Honor ever since the first show I took him to there. Um, so I stayed there, and I thought I would have my last match there. And then they dropped the bomb on us, letting us know they're not going to renew anybody's contract. 
and uh, they're going to take the whole first quarter of 2022 off. And then uh, I was like, okay, well, what do I do? And of course, being great friends with almost everybody here, uh, it really made, it was like a no-brainer. As soon as they dropped that bomb on us, we're in a Zoom call, and they dropped this bomb on us. Like a whole roster a Zoom whole call. A whole roster Zoom call. 50 people or 50 whatever. people. And you know, one tall tale sign that something bad was happening was normally these Zoom calls just involve the people who are about to do our TV tapings. This Zoom call had literally everybody, even the people that were overseas that couldn't make the show. And I was like, oh, boy. And literally, while the Zoom call meeting is going on, in the middle of this big announcement, I'm thinking, oh, man, what's the next step for me? So after the Zoom call meeting, about a day or two go by, I decide, you know what? I think I know what I want to do. I'm going to try to uh, go to AEW. I asked for my release because, of course, nobody will talk to you because that's the thing, too. We were still under, all still under right, contract. Still under contract, yeah. Right. So I, I even flew myself out to Baltimore. I didn't call them. I didn't send a message. I flew myself to Baltimore so I could meet with uh, Joe Coff and uh, the other guy. His name was Greg because they've been so good to me. They, sure. they treated me amazing. And it was very sad to have to do that. But it's I, cool that you went there. Thank face you. Face, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Because I worked much. with those guys on the first cruise, which you were on. Um, and hope, the, hopefully I'll be I, on I, another one. <laughs> but, the, but, but those guys were very good to work with. So I think that's, that shows a great amount of respect that you flew out there to see them face to face. Yeah. Thank you very much. So, yeah, I, I flew out there, asked for my release, um, told them how much of a pleasure it was to work with them. And as fast as they could, they got me. You know, it took a day or so. Because legal, I'm sure they were going crazy mm-hmm. um, with all their problems. But it took a day or so to get it finalized. And then I thought I had it, but then someone's signature was missing. Mm-hmm. So, And then after that, finally I could have my talks with, which I didn't even get to talk to Tony Khan. I talked to almost everybody except for him. <laughs> um, the first time I actually met Tony Khan was at Full Gear. Oh, wow. When yeah. you your debut. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that that was that's how I decided and how I came to be about uh, being an AEW. Quick question for you: What's, yeah. what's I'm trying to place your accent. Where, where, I, where, where are you from? I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm originally from New Jersey, uh-huh. uh, but every year we went to North Carolina. So my parents are Southern. Uh, my mom, you know, North Carolina gotcha. born. But I, I'm from New Jersey. But I don't think I have a Jersey is accent, do I? Is he from the islands? <laughs> <laughs> I say part of the problem is I can do anything. Yeah, I, I can make sound. <laughs> Talk is Jericho is supported by my favorite breakfast, Magic Spoon. You guys know that Blueberry Magic Spoon cereal is my favorite way to start the day. Magic Spoon's protein-packed, delicious cereal gives me the energy I need to get everything done. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in every serving. It's only 140 calories per serving as well. And check this out. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And you can build your own custom box or get a variety pack with available flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and even maple waffle. And better news, Magic Spoon's cookies and cream and maple waffle flavors are back permanently. Just go to magicspoon.com slash Jericho to grab your delicious cereal and try it today. And be sure to use my promo code Jericho at checkout to save five bucks off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So 
So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Start your morning with a smile and a big delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal. Just go to magicspoon.com slash Jericho and use the code Jericho to save $5 off. That's magicspoon.com slash Jericho and use the code Jericho to save five bucks. Magic Spoon, the breakfast of La Champion. So was, you mentioned that you kept saying they dropped a bomb. Was this something completely out of the blue Com- for you guys? Okay, yeah, completely out of the blue. And not to give too much, you know, I don't, I'm not sure who I'll piss off by saying too much of this, but uh, we, we had gotten an email announcing that we're going to have the Zoom meeting. Um, and the email sounded promising, like, hey, we got a taping that's coming up. We're going to discuss 2022, the early parts of it. So, like, yeah, all of us were like, all right, that's exactly what we wanted to hear. So yeah, going into the meeting, I would definitely say it was, I, I was, I can't speak to everybody, but I was definitely caught off guard. What do you think led to this decision? Ken? Um, I think the big thing that uh, there's two reasons. I think uh, the main one is during the pandemic, they tried so hard to take care of everybody. Right. Which a lot of companies were doing. A lot of companies were taking care of their people. No one not releasing too many people, right, still right. paying everybody, which they did. Um, but I, I do think they went. They tried to go above and beyond and had us all sitting home protected while still paying everybody. So there's no shows, no money coming in for almost the almost the whole year. So they, they did do a good job in trying to protect us and keep everybody safe, even though everybody on the roster was willing to go and have those shows. We were all willing to travel, uh, but they wanted us to stay home and keep safe, and I think that really put us in the red. And then the shows that we did have, the, I don't know for sure, but the amount of money I heard that they spent on testing and everybody having their own room and the doctor, this doctor and that doctor and all the hoops they had to go through, I heard, was unreal, the figures. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing that led us to this. So then when they when they started doing shows again, it was too little, too late kind of thing? Yes. And they were still protecting us by having these shows be empty shows. Right. So there's, again, no revenue. No, like yeah, in my head, I can't in. think of anything. Yeah, what money was coming in, right? You know, it's interesting because Ring of Honor was because we were working the whole time in front of nobody. Mm-hmm. WWE as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ring of Honor was the one Impact was doing empty, but you guys weren't doing anything. Anything. At all. But, but so, anything. how are you still keeping your TV uh, deal alive? Uh, they were doing reruns for a little wow. while. That just like our production crew, I believe, was making these best of episodes. They they focused on one person each each week to do these best of episodes and kudos to the production people because i'm sure while we the wrestlers were sitting home just enjoying our checks every uh (laughs) they were feverishly working because they had to make this whole show from not from scratch but using all the footage that they've had and so my hat's off to the production guys it seems it seems that could have probably had something to do with it as well i definitely think so yeah i definitely you know i mean that's the biggest thing to me it's one of the reasons why we, we still kept going is because we had to keep the lights on with our TV deal. Because I remember we had discussed, like, what well, we discussed. Tony never once ever discussed this, but discussing with other guys, like, we should just do reruns or do, you know, I said, let me do a 60-minute live talk show with Tony Khan. And he's like, he wasn't having it. <laughs> we had to keep the new content coming. Right. And maybe with Ring of Honor, without the new content and, and, content and just the you know, best ofs, 
maybe that wasn't enough to keep people's attention. I don't think so. And and there was even in one of the because we did have these regular Zoom meetings with everybody. And in one of the meetings at the end, they sent out this little uh, anonymous form. You could fill it out. Don't put your name on it. Just send it back. And the questions were like, would you be okay with traveling? Would you be okay with having shoes? And I'm, I'm like, what is the point of this? In the meeting, we all are saying we'll do it. Yeah, That's yeah. That's what we do. Uh, right, right, right. I think that was really what drove them to actually start having shows again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think if, if we didn't voice our opinion to say that we're, we all want to do these shows, I kind of shudder to think how long it would have went on with with no shows going on at all was it hard for you and frustrating maybe is the right word to see all of like everybody else running shows so frustrating you have oh man you have no idea that was the worst part and it's like you want to say something you want to say look at these guys are doing it how come we can't but then again you also don't want to rock the boat Mm -hmm. um because they are taking good care of us and no one no one's checks aren't clearing you know everybody's getting paid on time so like in one instance do you just shut up because there's a lot of people in this pandemic who lost their job who can't do anything they're in these horrible situations um but then on the other side you know if you tell a professional wrestler they can't wrestle then what like what do we do you have to do yeah I think, too, when you're talking like being under the Sinclair banner, which, like we said, is a huge television conglomeration, it doesn't matter who there is is a Ring of Honor fan. They have the bean counters who see Ring of Honor the same way they see whatever other shows they have on. Correct. know nothing even what Ring of Honor is. They just see Ring of Honor lost, you know, this amount of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, freaking, I don't know, the, the, the Friends reruns made this amount of money. Why do we still have this Ring of Honor even here? Right. And I, I, I do think you're right. But one thing that played in our favor also with that same thing is they saw they own this show. This is a show that they own. Original program. Correct. Which is a dream come true for any television company, I would imagine. Right. You don't have to pay Seinfeld two million dollars to air their episode. Exactly. Right. And as long as you keep this show cheap, then you can just reap the benefits of the revenue and everything coming right, in. Right, right, So I think that's another reason why we lasted as long as we did. <laughs> what was kind of the, the peak of Ring of Honor? Uh, uh, I'm not going to say it's the existence because it still exists, but for your time in, in the company, when, mm. when was it at its biggest? So I'm afraid to answer that because I don't want to seem like I'm tooting my own horn here. But That's uh, what we're here for. <laughs> Obviously, so when you were there, you were the champion. Right. I mean, well, I, I think if you ask anybody, they'll have a different time. So that's kind of cool. But for me, it seemed like 2015 when I won the belt. Uh, it was like the peak. And maybe just I'm answering this too personally. But yeah, for me, it was like the peak of business, especially for me. And uh, we were selling the most merchandise. Uh, when the Bucks were there, too, that was another high point. And we had the Bucks and Cody. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, for me, if I had that, you know, personally, I'm picking 2015. <laughs> so were, were you guys doing a lot of uh, house shows? Like yes, you work yeah. Like two, three times a week was oh, the yeah. schedule? Yep. I was home probably one weekend a month if I was lucky. And, and I thought that was good. What kind of crowds were you doing? Uh, great crowds. Yeah, we were selling out. Uh, selling the venues that we were going to, we weren't running these massive yeah. venues, obviously. Like but Hammerstein the, Ballroom, those type of Oh, yeah. The yeah. Hammerstein always sold out. Mm-hmm. Always. And then we stopped running Hammerstein, I heard, because they were charging so much. Yeah, but, New but, York City. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would think, for me personally, the peak is 
one of the highest moments I would say is 2015. But there's a lot of people who would be like, "Oh, you're wild and crazy." The, it's when the Bucks and Cody were there, which is also true. Mm-hmm. Also true. Which was also probably hurt Ring of Honor as well. When, when oh man, the, you know three of those guys and Hangman. You know, I know Kenny wasn't there all the time, but those four guys were regulars, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. That that massive exodus yeah. of uh, of a good group, a solid group of people who were drawing the fans there. And uh, when when this exodus, this massive leaving happened, uh, my heart broke. Um, and this was also during a contract renegotiation time for me, and there was a. You know, an offer was made for me, and they extended the invite to me to say, hey, come with us. To come to AEW? Yes. Oh, wow. And, you know, I didn't take it, obviously. And here's why. Throughout my entire Ring of Honor career, it really feels like they have laid out the red carpet for not only me, but my family. They've always gone above and beyond. I, I I can't think of a single bad thing to say about them other than they let us sit home too long and paid us. And, you know, overprotected. <laughs> right, right. Um, so when I all these guys were leaving, I literally and not that I'm I don't want to make it seem like I'm some savior. But when all those guys left, I literally thought about the state of the company. Not only that, but the state that my friends would be left in because I'm friends with everybody there. And I thought, well. I can't do it all by myself, but at least if I'm here, I can try and help because mm-hmm. like this, I mean, I really feel like the company is going to suffer and they've been good to me. Let me repay the favor. And that's the only reason that I stayed. I wanted to go so bad. Um, I already knew from the start what was going to happen. But yeah, just my, my loyalty. And, loyalty. I, and it was, it, I just, I, even today, I feel like it was the right thing to do. Everyone likes a great deal. Like savings, markdowns, and lunch specials. But when it comes to car insurance, we know the right place. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your ride. Your friends don't have to have a connection or call in a favor. State Farm offers options like insuring your ride and your home, getting you great rates on both. Now that's a deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. So who were kind of the top guys in the Ring of Honor when the company kind of changed course besides yourself? Uh, me, uh, Matt Taven, right. and the Briscoes. Of course the Briscoes. Yeah. Of course the Briscoes. And that that was pretty much it because most of it, it was hard to make. They, they didn't really make any top guys um, while the Bucks and Cody. We had so many top guys while they were there. So the, I think we just – we. And I say we because you know I'm with I was with Ring of Honor, but that, I think there was this notion that we'd have plenty of time to create right. top guys. You know, we just hit our peak and our stride. So, uh, but then so when those guys left, it was like, oops. Well, and we, nobody we took into account or could predict the fact that there was going to be a pandemic in the middle of all this. <laughs> right. You know, because basically that's what happened. Cody Bucks leave 19. Uh-huh. Six, eight months later, the whole freaking world is shut down. So anybody that you might have been building, right. when you have no shows, you can't do anything. Right, right. No show. Right. We're all sitting home uh, trying to make videos on the internet yeah. to keep keep some buzz, keep your face seen. <laughs> you know, it, it is kind of a drag because I, I think... When AEW started, it was a really, uh, and it still is, don't get me wrong, but let me finish, like a, a great time for wrestling in that there was more work than ever and more places for people to go. Well, after, I think, I think, then of course, someone will 
correct me on this. I think WWE has let go 150 mm. people over the last two years. I know it's 80 in 2021. Wow. Um, and then, of course, with Ring of Honor, there's a whole roster there. It's kind of scary to think there's a lot of talent, but now there isn't a lot of places to go. Can't go back to Japan yet either. Right, right. right. Yeah. And that's another thing, too. When they dropped the bomb on us in that Zoom meeting and I, I'm realizing, okay, there's going to be no, pretty much no Ring of Honor in 2022. Um, another reason that made me quickly book that flight a day or so later to go get my release is I saw that there the market is flooded. Uh, and if I don't try and move as fast as I can, it won't end well for me because there's just so many people to choose from. And that, that was another motivator, too. You're right. So many guys out there. Great guys. Yeah, yeah great work. Incredible workers, talent. Yeah. But it's it's it seems like you got here fairly quickly. A couple phone calls. Didn't even really have to talk to Tony much, and you just uh, came right in. Right. I never talked to him until I met him when I was so here. Right. you never actually even talked to him on the phone? No. Nope. <laughs> That's great. You're like, hey, I think I work for you now. Right. Right. <laughs> Totally, totally. Oh man! <laughs> but that wow, was, when you when you actually say it, it sounds wild. But once then what I said before, like when I said, I wasn't phrasing it right. I'm not saying that you didn't have a national form in in a Ring of Honor, but to me, you are a, a, always have been, as far as the stuff that I've seen of you, a major level performer. You look great. I mean, you move great. There's the, the personalities there. I mean, there's there's so much to, to to credit you with. So that's why, like now that you're in AW, what I meant uh, in a national spot is a national TBS, TNT, USA, like a, a cable network guy. And you have, I'm going to say, probably 15, 20 years experience or whatever you says that you started. So yeah. there's really it was really a no brainer to have you come in. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, so cool. While you were saying that, while you were just saying that, I'm like, oh my god. Jericho's putting me over, and <laughs> and literally all I could think of. There's this one, you you wrestled. Uh, I've seen so many Chris Benoit matches. I used to buy tapes and tapes, and there's the one match that you wrestled him. He slapped the crap out of yeah. you. But there was uh, also in that say, yes, also in that match you gave him a suplex, and while holding him in the air, you let go with one hand and you did this. Come on, baby! And then when you gave him the suplex, you popped up to one knee and you did, oh yeah! And literally while you were talking and you know putting me over just now, all I could picture was, and when my brother hears that, he's gonna laugh because we both watched that so many times. We just would rewind and rewind and rewind. You know, it was funny. I, I, uh, that was the first time I ever wrestled Chris. It was in uh, the Sue Marina Super Jacob second stage, December '95. And I slapped him. That used to be my thing. I slapped him. <laughs> in the face. Then he slapped me back, and he almost knocked me out. I remember I went down. I was like, yes, "Oh my god!" Were, yeah, you stood. Yeah, and then you slowly, you slowly went down. Yeah. I remember. So afterwards, I said to him, "He goes, oh, sorry about that. I'm not very good at those slaps." I said, "Well, actually, you're really good. At them. <laughs> too good. Uh, too good. At them. But, but have we ever actually met before? Okay. Yeah. We briefly on the cruise because there was a picture of, taken of, I don't know. Yeah, me. You and Kenny, right? Uh, yes, and and I would like to do a little reenactment for you, even though the people listening. Please do. Uh, okay, so there's yeah, we met. First, I'll get into how we met before the cruise. There was like, uh, there was man in Maryland. There was a show that I went to with Sanjay, and you were you were on you were I don't know why you were there. You showed up, 
And I remember you pulled me aside and you made me take a picture with you. And you said, oh, my wife's a big fan of black machismo. (laughs) (laughs) And for years, for years, for years, I told my friends about that. For years. uh, I remember that show. I was just doing autograph signings. I wasn't working anywhere and I was just making a couple extra bucks. Yes. And I think I met you there. I met Sanjay there. I met three or four other people. There was this show in Baltimore, (laughs) Maryland. I'm like, yes. How many people did I meet that day? Yes, yes, yes. So we met that day briefly. And I was so like, I just, on, on the ride home, I just kept rubbing in Sanjay's face. Like, yeah, he wanted to take a picture with me, not you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on the cruise, and I feel bad because the people listening um, can't see this, but I will gladly reenact this for anybody who ever asks. Uh, on the cruise, Chris, I was Ring of Honor champion at the time. And uh, <laughs> Kenny was IWGP champion, and uh, Nitro was there, and he was the Impact champion. And I was the AEW champion. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. you were like, oh, I want to get a picture with all of the champions, and it all happened on my cruise. This is going to be badass. And I, and we were all like, yeah, sure. That, that, yeah. You, and you were like, I brought everybody together under one roof. When has this ever happened? We'll <laughs> never get a picture like this ever again. And all of us were like, sure. sure. I don't think I said it that angrily, but <laughs> no, you were you were enthusiastic about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so then Kenny mentions, oh, I don't have the belt with me. Oh yeah. And you were like, it's it's fine. It doesn't matter. We'll we'll take the picture anyway. So we're gonna we plan to take the picture later, right? So here we go. Uh, stand up. Standing up. Move <laughs> okay, the chair. So uh, we're. We uh, the first show is happening on the boat, and I'm sitting in my chair in the locker room because I'm on that show, um, and I'm getting dressed. I'm about to start getting dressed, and in all the boys are they're standing around the locker room. All the boys, because uh, they're you're about to have matches, and in way on the other side of the room, in come you, Kenny Omega, and uh, Johnny. Uh, Impact. Impact. Johnny Nitro. Yeah, yeah Johnny Nitro. Morrison. Yeah, Morrison. yeah I was like. <laughs> Right. So there you got you three walk in. You're all on the other side of the room. And then you and I make eye contact. So you kind of like quick little shuffle over to me and you point over at the other guys. You go, look, they're here. Let's get that picture. And I don't know what compelled me. But when you said, let's get that picture, this happened in slow motion to me. You stuck your hand out to me as if like like a mom would do to their kid. You stuck your hand out and said, come on, come on. And then you wagged your hand like this. Come on, come on. And and I, without even thinking, I stood up and I grabbed your hand And because I thought we were in a rush. But when I grabbed your hand, you did the classic Chris Jericho walk, which looks like this. And slowly... In front of everybody. And I remember people were looking at me like, why is Jay holding Chris Jericho's hand? <laughs> you slowly walked me over to them. And uh, yeah, and we went, we stepped outside and took the picture, but I'll never forget that. <laughs> I was like, the whole day I'm thinking, why did he, he stuck his hand out and I didn't even think anything of it. I just grabbed his hand because I thought we were in a rush, but then we did the slow walk and then. I remember Silas Young, he was in the locker room too. He was like, I saw you holding Jericho's hand. <laughs> yep. Yes, I was. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'll never forget that. <laughs> Thanks to all our friends at Geico for supporting Talk is Jericho. Do you own or rent your home? 
Sure you do, and you know it's hard work. And you know what's easy, though, is bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners and renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Let's talk about, you mentioned uh, uh, Impact, and we talked a little bit about Black Machismo. And yes. Rick. How did this whole thing start with the Flair thing and, and, and kind of go through the two separate stories for the two separate characters? Okay, so let's do the Machismo first. Okay. The, the Macho Man voice is something that I've always been able to do. I remember even when I was growing up as a kid, I could do the voice. And I think it's because... I just watched wrestling so much. I didn't go out with my friends. I didn't go to friends' houses. In fact, my parents would even tell me, you, "Why you don't you don't go out?" I didn't go to you know any school sports. I didn't do anything. I just religiously came home, watched wrestling, or I played with my action figures. Um, so I think instead of watching wrestling as a fan, I was probably unbeknownst to me studying it. Well, Macho Man was always someone that he just drew me in. So I've always been able to do the voice. So there's been several times where we just have some downtime in the locker room and I would bust out my Macho Man voice. And it wasn't until Kevin Nash heard it. And I was like, wow, I'm working with Kevin Nash. This is incredible. And he goes, yeah, that that voice. Why are you not doing that on TV? Like, that's entertaining. We're doing all these silly skits and you can do that voice like you should do that. And right away. I like to think that most of the people who got into the wrestling in my generation, we all wanted to be the badass world champion. We didn't want to be like the imitation guy. And um, I explained that to him and he goes, the sooner you get over that and realize that there's a spot for everybody, not everybody can be that badass world champion. Right. The sooner you realize that, the better you'll be as a wrestler and you'll have more fun. And I go, okay, I understand that. But also I don't want, to make fun of Savage, this isn't, I don't want anybody to feel like that. He goes, well, no one would, he goes, think of it like this. Nobody's even talking about Randy Savage right now. So if you do this on TV, you'll actually get people to start talking about him. So I go, you know what? You're right. And it took about an hour of him talking to me, but I was hundred percent convinced. And we ran to Jeff Jarrett and was like, yeah, I want to do this. And then they pulled me into this room and made me do all these lines in Macho Man voice, and then they played it back for me, and I was like, whoa, that really does sound like Macho well, give, Man. Give us a quick little example. Brother, yeah. You know, the the thing about the Macho Man, uh, yeah, uh, the thing about him. <laughs> <laughs> the, the wild thing about my Macho Man impression is, even if it's something that I've never heard him say, I could say it. Sure, yeah. of course, yeah. Yeah, like um, next week i got to go to the supermarket. And they were, they were out of chicken. Can you believe that? Huh? You're a supermarket. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, was was Randy uh, still alive at the time? He was. Because he did a stint in Impact. He did right before I got okay. there. And I just missed it. Gotcha. Right before I got there, man. And there's a, there's a story about that, too, because I did this indie show in the Midwest area. Um, for a gentleman named Ed Schumann. And I was doing the machismo character, and Ed Schumann one time pulls me aside. He goes, you know, I, I know Randy Savage. And I go, oh, man, you do? He goes, yeah. And I talked to him about you, and uh, he loves your stuff. And he slid a piece of paper to me. He goes, here's his number. He wants you to call him. And, of course, I'm thinking there's more than one person who can do a macho man voice. Yeah. 
and it's the wrestling business. I'm going to call this number. Someone's going to pretend to, you know, big rib laugh on yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never called it. So eventually I would do another Ed Schumann show months later, and he said, I talked to Randy. He said, you never called him. Why? I go, I was just busy. Meanwhile, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I don't want to fall for your stupid yeah, prank, yeah, yeah. man. So uh, eventually Ed Schumann passes away, and then the Macho Man thought in my head like, well, should I go find try and find that number? Nah, I won't. And then I did a show in New Jersey during my Black Machismo character against Lanny Poffel. Someone booked me against his brother. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Lanny told me, yeah, I want to do this, form this tag team with you and we'll be called Brothers from Another Mother. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is great. So after the match, I said, hey, can I ask you something? And he goes, yeah, and I, you know where this is going. I'm going to ask him about that number for Macho Man. And uh, I'm like, uh, you know, Ed, there, there's this guy I did a show for. His name is Ed Schumann. And before I could even finish saying Ed Schumann, he goes, oh, I know Ed Schumann. And right away, I'm like, you oh. stupid son of a... Like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So, of course, now I'm like, oh, man. So you never got to meet him and, and no. ne or never got to talk to him about well, it? Oh, 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 sorry. I got to rewind. I'm so sorry. I did... Three shows for Ed Schumann, and on the third one, when I went back to my room, I called the number. I totally forgot about that. I'm sorry. Uh, I went back to my room, and I called the number just to appease Ed Schumann. And the person on, it was like a 10-second conversation. It went just like this. Oh, hi, uh, Mr. Uh, Randy Savage. This is Jay Lethal. Ed Schumann gave me your number. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he told me that uh, I should give you a call, and you've seen some of my stuff. I don't have television, but uh, I've seen some of it on YouTube. And uh, it's pretty good, pretty good. I go, man, I'm I'm a big fan. Is that right? Yeah, well, I got to go right now. I'm a little busy. All right, thank you. So hung up, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, now Ed Schumann can yeah, leave me yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I'm sure that was not even him. Yeah. So when I talked to Lanny, I said, can you find out if I actually, you know, <laughs> So uh, Lanny goes, when I get home, I'll find out right away. So when Lanny got home, I got an email from him. I didn't exchange numbers. I don't know why. I gave Lanny Poffel my email address. <laughs> that was weird, right? Why wouldn't I just give him my phone number? <laughs> so when I got home, Chris, he emailed me and go, yep, I just talked to my brother. He said that was him. So now I scramble to find <laughs> this the number. number. I the scramble number? to find him. I finally found it. I tried to call. No answer. No answer. One of the times he picked up and goes, hey, I can't talk right now. Okay, and then uh, and then shortly after that, was that, it. that was it, man. I wonder if it's one of those things where Ed, uh, he said, that, yeah, I gave him my number, and then we actually gave him the number. He's like, we well, gave my number? <laughs> this guy's calling me all the time now. Right, right, right. <laughs> so is that kind of what made you decide to go full on with it with Black Machismo? Obviously, you got over with the crowd. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, even before I met Macho Man, uh, before I thought that I talked to him, yeah. Um, and then I met Lanny. Even before that, I went full fledged after that conversation with Kevin Nash. Nash. Yeah, because yeah. he that the point when he said you would actually get people to start talking about the Monster Man who aren't now. That is what that was like the catalyst for me. And then I was all for it after that. All and you for went it. full on with the costume, full on, and full on. And I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did. I was like, there's no way this is going to go on for very long. I think it went on for like almost five years. <laughs> That's great. I know. It's, it was wild. Yeah, but full-on costumes, tassels, and everything. I had 
Some of the best times in wrestling that I've ever had was doing the Macho Man. Character. Did you? Did you? Because uh, I, I remember seeing it, but I don't. Like, were you playing it straight? As in, was it a comedy character? Or was it just your character no. going for the world 100, title? Hundred percent comedy. Gotcha. Hundred percent comedy. In fact, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, like uh, I would see people and automatically with the Macho Man character assume that they were somebody else. Like if I saw Cody, he would be Dusty Rhodes to me. And then whoever I'd see, I'd oh, I haven't seen you in a while. How's it been? <laughs> Who? What? Some of the people. I remember I called Awesome Kong in a promo. I thought she was Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember that. Like, and here's another wild part too, Chris, because this will lead into something later. When I was doing that Macho Man character, I never had to cut a promo in the ring before, ever. All of the things that I did was in the locker room, film pre-tape, they call it. Well, if they told me, hey, I need you to cut a promo A, B, C, and D. Ready? All right, everybody ready? And go. With my Macho Man voice, I didn't even have to hit all those points. I could just give you a little bit of A and then go right to D. And when we cut, they go, perfect, because it didn't matter what <laughs> yeah. I said. You know, so like part of me felt like I'm this one take wonder but i'm also not even saying all the stuff they want <laughs> which was terrifying when we fast forward and now i have to do this promo with rick flair i've never cut a live promo and now I have to go cut a live promo with a live mic with rick flair as black machismo oh well, no this one <laughs> okay, was as, 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 the rick, as, as yeah <laughs> so like terrifying it was terrifying to me. One quick thing about Randy before I moved to Rick is that uh, I didn't really know Randy in WCW. It was different times. That those guys didn't really talk to us. Yeah. But he always talked like that. Like that wasn't a gimmick voice like Hogan puts on or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was his real voice. Mm -hmm. And I remember right after I left WCW, I had to go to a, he was friends with this guy called Bubba the Love Sponge in oh, yeah. DJ in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a morning concert, like 8 a.m., something they were doing. And, and I was there to whatever represent whatever the hell I was representing and, and Randy was there mm. and he came over to me I'm not going to try and do the voice because <laughs> I can't but he basically said he goes he goes it's good that you left because WWF is better for you Vince will know what to do with you more but he said one thing that that uh, that it makes me that makes me sad one thing one thing I regret is that we never got to work mm. and I'd never heard once ever 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 that randy savage wanted to work chris jericho and maybe he never did say that in wcw but the fact in the back of his mind that he said it's a shame that we never got to work i was like wow that's pretty cool that was enough for me man yeah 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 exactly <laughs> man so, he's man yeah. i just i idolize the macho man he's amazing man Home team, visiting team, your fantasy team, no matter who you root for, we're all on the same side when it comes to COVID-19. BioNTech and Pfizer remind you to please consider getting vaccinated. So talk about what you did with Rick, because that's another guy that you can okay, imitate. Yeah. So, and I, a lot of people think I got all these great impressions, and I might. Um, and here's the funny part about the Ric Flair one. I didn't even know I could do Ric Flair or anything. We're close to a Ric Flair thing. The reason how I found out is um, Impact Wrestling did an overseas tour in the UK. And there was like a string of shows. And I remember one of the days we didn't have any shows. It was like an off day. And everybody met in the hotel bar. Everybody was there. Literally. Um, and, you know, I didn't pay for a single drink. I don't know where these drinks were coming from, but um, I had a little bit too much to drink. For, go figures if I'm going to do a Ric Flair impression, right? Uh, I had a little too much to drink, and that's how I found out that I could do a Ric Flair. I had never even attempted one before, um, and I that that's how I found out I could do one. And then all of a sudden, every show we go to, especially Earl Hebner, all they want to do is hear me do the Ric Flair, and they're wooing at me. 
So it, it became this thing, Chris, too, where whenever I saw Earl Hebner, we wouldn't even say hi to each other. We would start doing Ric Flair stuff, <laughs> four fingers up in the air, wooing, and you'd uh, give me some Ric Flair, you know, when you're living. Uh, so, <laughs> so, like, weeks and weeks of... Every time I see Earl Hebner, there's no hi, Earl, or what's up. It's right away, woo and strutting. So one time I see Earl, and he goes, I give him the woo and put the four fingers up, and he goes, you'll never believe who's coming here. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. And he starts strutting, and I go, no way. <laughs> now right away I start panicking because I know exactly what's going to happen. Everybody's going to make me do <laughs> Yeah. So I was terrified. Um so when, when Flair actually does get there, which was weeks later, I'm trying to plan how I'm going to say hi to him and when. I don't want a lot of people around because they're going to embarrass me. Yeah, yeah. But there was never a point where he was alone. <laughs> there was always a crowd of people around him. And I remember uh, the exhibition guys, we had to get dressed in this little trailer. And I kept peeking out the trailer and like that crowd around him never shrunk. And at, when it was at its peak, there were so many people around him. I go, you know what? Maybe this is good. Everybody's around them. They won't even realize that I slithered in there to say hello. So I slither through the crowd, and I'm like, okay, uh, do I say Mr. Flair or Rick? I don't want to disrespect them. Um, so I get up, finally get close to him, and I stick my hand out. I go, oh, Mr. Flair, Jay, nice to meet you. And he looks down at my hand. I'm not kidding. He looks down at my hand, then looks into my eyes and goes, let me hear it. And I go, oh, somebody told him, no, man. And without skipping a beat, I jump into the promo where he slid the chair underneath The Undertaker to Tombstone Hogan and won the belt. And then in the locker room, he's going crazy with Mr. Perfect. And he's like, little baby's out there now. Tears in their eyes. <laughs> I go right into this promo. And, man, he freaking loved it. It was so cool working with him, man. So cool. I, had, I I do one imitation with Lars Ulrich from Metallica, and I had that too. It's like, hey, Lars, he does. And the first time I met him years ago, I was like, well, let me hear what he let's, let's hear an imitation of me. Well, Lars, everyone says you talk like this, and they're very scared of how you're going to react. If I talk this way, it's fucking nutty. People don't understand how fucking crazy it is. And he's like, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> nice, and nice. Like, Thank you. But he's right. so scared when Terrifying, you're like, right, right there. Like, he'd go, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> so did you end up working a whole angle with Rick, right? All at his request. Yep. Interesting. Yep. So uh, here's how it went. I showed up one day and Vince Russo comes up to me and he goes, bro, I got news for you, bro. You got a promo today with Rick Flair. And I'm like, no way, no way. He goes, yeah, this is what he wants. But here's the problem, bro. You know, when you when wrestlers cut promos, they got bullet points. You know what I'm talking about? I go, yeah. He goes, well, Ric Flair won't let us write anything for him. So you're going to have to go to him, bro, and ask him, look. Vince wants to know what you want to do. And I go, okay, sure. So he points at the locker room. So oh, I go in there. Great. I go in there and I, I, you know, Flair is happy to see me. And I go, man, we're going to, we get to work together today. We got a promo. He goes, yeah, it's going to be great. Just, just listen to me out there. And uh, I go, well, that's why I'm here. Vince Russo told me to come in here to see what you wanted to do today. Like, what is our promo? And he goes, 
I don't talk about my promos. And then he like pats me on the yeah. shoulder and then he walks out. And why he walked out, I have no idea because I was standing in his room. In his <laughs> room. He like pats me on the shoulder and walks out. And I thought it was kind of funny. Later on, I saw him again. I go, hey, uh, again, do you want to like, what do you want me to do on this promo? And, and he kind of got a little hot. He's like, I told you before, I don't go over my promos. I'll see you out there. And I go. This is going to be bad because <laughs> I have no like, what am I even supposed yeah, to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Vince, when I found Russo again, he goes, the promo is going to start. You come out there and you imitate Flair and that's it. And then he comes out and I don't know what's going to happen after that. So all I knew is I was going to go to the ring and imitate him. And I remember before the music hit, I'm standing at the curtain and my hands are going numb. I'm so nervous. I don't know like how like. I've never cut a promo in front of a live crowd before. Like, now I have to. And uh, I remember Simon Diamond, he came up to me and he goes, What's, are you okay? I go, no, I'm like terrified. He goes, here's, this should make you feel better. You're only doing this because something you were doing in the locker room was so good. So when you go out there, just pretend you're in the locker room. Don't do anything you wouldn't do in the locker room trying to make us laugh back here. And that actually did help me. Um, it didn't make me feel that much better, but it did calm me down a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. so I went to the ring and I did what I would do in the locker room. Flair came out. I, that whole thing is like a blur to me. Flair and I cut like three or four promos together. I can't remember a single one of them unless I watch it. And one of them is like a meme now, like because we were doing the woo back and forth. Oh, yeah. Woo, woo, <laughs> yeah, woo, yeah, woo, yeah. yeah. Which none of that was planned. <laughs> like I'm throwing my shoe at him and I'm dropping elbows on the ramp on the stage. And like absolutely none of that was planned. Isn't that the beauty of how Flair works, though? Yes. It's like yeah. you don't have any idea what you're going to do, but you come out of the going, this is great. Yes, yeah. No, no Whenever we, we, We'd always come back in the locker room, Chris, and he'd always whisper to me, let's see him follow that. <laughs> he had a great time and there would be times where we'd have house shows or little loops and I knew he was in the building because way in distance you'd hear Lethal where are you you son of a bitch <laughs> that means that he had brought somebody and he wanted them to hear the impression so I'd go and do it he got such a kick out of it and that's what made it so enjoyable so was the idea in the feud that he was he the heel or were you the heel he, he was the heel pissed off that you were imitating oh yeah how dare I yeah. you know <laughs> and it was his idea for me to beat him with a figure four on pay-per-view too like that was man like I really feel like and like I'm being interviewed by you I really feel like my whole career not just career my life can be described as somebody who won the lottery. And I, one of my favorite movies of all time is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm -hmm. And I am Charlie. Like, I got this golden ticket to live this wild dream. The people that I watched growing up and, like, looked up to and idolized and said, I want to be like those people. I'm working with them and getting interviewed by them. And, like, they, they want me to wrestle them on, on pay-per-view and mm -hmm. stuff. This is all wild. It's unreal. You think it's maybe because you're a pretty talented guy? <laughs> that might have something well, to do with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, 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 I take nothing away from the hard work. I do work hard, but like yes. I, I do believe that I have been truly blessed, and I've been very lucky. 
Let me ask you about impact. Same question I asked you earlier about Ring of Honor, because you were there pretty much at the peak of impact as well. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the peak and what kind of led to that company going well, down? Well, this time I'm not going to say when I was champion because I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was ex-division champion for a few times. But I think the peak when I was there was Samoa Joe versus Kurt Angle. Oh, yeah. Man, because I, I even think we started going head-to-head with Raw yeah. at that time too. Like that was the peak um, and then something happened, and then they got rid of the ring that we were using, and then... Uh, they got rid of the ring you were using. Because at one point we were doing the six-sided right. ring, and then they went back to four sides. And I can't remember when they changed the ring back to four sides. Um, but that was one of the things that kind of... We had our own little identity oh, with that six-sided I see, ring. I see what you're saying. Um, How was that working in a six-sided it ring? It was tough. It yeah. was. I do admit it was very tough. The ropes... Because there's so many posts, those ropes were like hitting the guardrail. Super tight. Super tight. Great for springboarding and jumping off of, but super tight. And sometimes you'd go to shoot the guy off to the ropes, and when you turn, you're actually shooting him to a turnbuckle because it doesn't (laughs) line up as well. (laughs) Right, 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 right. right. You got to do a little bit of a a swerve when you get there. Right, but I I enjoyed it, Um, and I thought it was a cool – identity thing mm-hmm. so when i went back to four sides i kind of was broken heart that was one of the things that kind of started taking it down one of the things yeah. yeah um and then they weren't featuring the x division guys as much um same old story same. too much of the older guys and yeah right uh you mentioned you had a story about terry taylor oh my got- goodness okay so <laughs> like i said uh i thought i would have been there till the lights uh, till the doors close. Yes, oh, wow. for impact. Yeah, There's your loyalty again. I uh, yeah. When, a, when if you're good to me, I'll just I'll you know I'll be good to you and be with you forever. Mm-hmm. But um, right after the impact wrestling, I'm sorry. Right after the Ric Flair feud that I was doing, at the very tail end of it, I got a call from Terry Taylor. Now something you got to know about every time Terry Taylor called me, who was head of talent relations, Terry Taylor and I had this weird relationship. Every time he called me, if I had to go do a signing or something or go do a commercial or whatever, he'd always – the conversation went the same way. It went like this, ring, ring, ring. I'd pick up the phone. I'd go, Terry Taylor. <laughs> he'd go, Jay Lethal, you're fired. And I'd, I'd start laughing. He'd start laughing. And then I'd go, okay, what do you really want? And then he'd go, oh, you have to do this, this, and that. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this particular time, Chris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Chris. And looking back on it, I kind of appreciate that he didn't change it. But this particular time, there was impact taping. I was told, you don't have to go. You're not on it. I said, okay. People weren't on it plenty of times. So I went to a baseball game instead. And at the baseball game, I get a call from Terry Taylor. I step out into the little galleyway there. um, And I pick up the phone. I go, Terry Taylor? (laughs) He goes, Jay Lethal, you're fired. I start laughing. He's not laughing. I start laughing, and then I go, okay, Terry, I'm at a baseball game. What do you really want? And he goes, I'm so sorry. I'm not kidding this time. Uh, I didn't want to have to call you and tell you this. I'm I'm so sorry, Jay, but we're we're actually going to be giving you your release. And I said, what? What did I do? In my head, I'm thinking, I'm doing this thing with Ric Flair. Everybody's telling me that it's really good. Like, what? So I, I, I say to Terry Taylor, um, okay, thank you very much. And then I hung up. So then I went back to my seat, 
because I, I can't believe what just happened. I'd never been fired from anywhere before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or does it even count as been fired? Sure, it does. So I went and sat back down in my seat, not even processing. And I'm like, now there's no more baseball game. I'm not even watching that game. I'm sitting, looking down. I'm like, I, this is not real. Like, what is going on? So I sat there for maybe 20 minutes. Uh, then I got up, went back into the hallway, called Terry Taylor, and I said, I'm so sorry. Can you? Can we just have this conversation over again? Can you please explain to me what's going on? And then he explained, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, due to budget cuts and stuff, we, we got to let you go. And you'll get this, and your last payment will be this date. And, and man, I just... I I was defeated. It was my first taste of like like I said, I've never been fired. I've that's, never, that's crazy. I, they fired you though. I know, and I still to this. There's got to be more to it. Of course, still there to this budget day. cuts. Come on. <laughs> One story that I heard was Dixie's mom had come into the office upset that we were over budget, and she looked at all the books and picked four, four or five wrestlers and six or seven uh, office people and fired them. That's mm, the story mm. that I heard. Just random, like this one Just is random. Awesome. Yeah. Because so there was some other guys that were cut at the same time. Yes, gotcha. yes, yes. That could be it. Uh, it's, it's probably, that's probably it. I'm going to say that for my brain and well-being, I'm going to say that that's <laughs> it. Because I like, I thought I was doing great with the flare thing. So, um, yeah, Terry Taylor said, Jay Lethal, <laughs> you're fired. And then I was really fired. So. <laughs> but Terry and I had this relation. And, like, that's another thing, too, looking back on it. I'm kind of glad he didn't change anything. Like, because it was like... Our friendship never changed, yeah. and like he wasn't fired. Yeah, right, right. It wasn't a decision he was making, right. So uh, literally at that baseball game, once I hung up with him the second time, I called Sanjay, who had gotten released a few months before, and I said I just got released, and he goes, I just went through that. It's not the end of the world. It feels bad right now, but you're gonna be fine. Trust me. You know you'll be back on the indie. You don't worry. You're gonna be fine. I hung the phone up. I called the Young Bucks, and I said, "Yep, they just released me because they were my friends there. Him, uh, the Bucks, and um, Spanky, Brian Kendrick, like there's the core group yeah. that I hung out with." I called the Bucks, and they go, "You know what? You should give Kyrie Silken a call. Big things are going to happen at Ring of Honor soon." So I hung up, called Kyrie Silken, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, we got a show next month. Come on." So. I was like, okay, I'm I'm there. So literally next month, I did a Ring of Honor show, and I when I went to do the next one, there was this big announcement that they got sold. Oh my God, you have the the relief. <laughs> so you just swing swing right from one tree right to the next the whole career, so, sort of like what I just did recently. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, exactly. <laughs> Uh, last few things as we start to wind down. You mentioned that that your your dad mentioned uh, said not to go to WWE. Did you ever have any talks with them at all? Any type of tryout or anything like that? I can remember two or three talks. Two I had briefly with Tommy Dreamer, who was like at one time yeah. head of I don't know if he was talent relations, but he talent could get relations you a job, guys, right? Yeah. Um, and it, every time I mentioned talked to him, it was right after. Uh, you know, my contract coming up with Impact Wrestling and me trying to decide if I wanted to stay, which I did. But um, so there was that. And then there was a brief talk after one of my contracts ran up with Ring of Honor. Spanky was like, would you be interested in coming here? Um, I could put in a word for you. I go, yes, maybe. Mm -hmm. But like a, literally the next day I re-signed with Ring of Honor. One of those talks with 
one of those talks with Tommy Dreamer, by the way, um, ended well. And he was like, well, let me f- see what, you know, what we can do. And then like a week or two weeks went by. Not that I'm impatient, but like I like s- hurry up and getting guaranteed money right away, you know. <laughs> so I got this offer here and like, do I wait? You know, so much time has gone by. So I, that's when I was like, screw it. I'll just sign back with Impact Wrestling. Interesting. So you said you started in 2002? Yes. So in almost 20 years, mm-hmm. you're one of the few guys that never even had a, a, a tryout. Never. There, never did an extra. Never. That's never. interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. My dad thinks it is that I got to make a living uh, not never having to even go there. And my dad, he's like the biggest fan. He went to the very first match I've ever had. Um, and my mom wouldn't go because she was worried that her, you know, she, I would get hurt. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> but my dad, for the first six years of my career, five years, went to every show that I had. Even when Ring of Honor um, offered to fly me for the first time, I was getting a flight offered. <laughs> and when I, I remember coming home, I go, they offered me a flight. Can you believe it? <laughs> He's like... Well, what about us? I go, they're not going to fly you. <laughs> he goes, well, we want to go. And so I said, okay. So I called uh, Gabe Sapolsky at the time. He was booking Ring of Honor. I said, my parents want to go, so I don't think I need the flight. We're going to drive. And, of course, he was ecstatic. You don't know how to pay for no flight. <laughs> idiot. <laughs> sure. Yes. Sure. Idiot. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, we drove. Man, my, I mean, what a wild ride. They've been, for that first five, six years, they went to every show that I had. They've seen so many new Ring of Honor champions. And I remember thinking, one day I'm going to win that Ring of Honor title for them, and they're going to be in the crowd. Mm-hmm. So one of, uh, you know, I listen to the show all the time. One question you always ask, what's one of the, your favorite mm-hmm. matches? Uh, I don't know if we're winding to that part of the <laughs> segment. So, uh, but one, I got two favorite matches. One is my match against Jay Briscoe for the Ring of Honor World Championship in 2015 for the sole reason that my parents were sitting there watching because just like they had watched all those other Ring of Honor champions, and I'm sure my dad and mom was like thinking in the back of their head, well, when's my son going to get right, that? Right, right. And they were finally able to see it, and they're still alive for it. Man, that was one of my favorite matches. And the other favorite match I have is against Chris Sabin on a TNA house show that never got recorded. And the reason it's one of my favorites is because my oldest brother – who lives in North Carolina, he didn't really get to go to see any of my matches. And this particular show, he was coming. And when I told Chris Saban that, he goes, no way, my older brother who's never seen my matches is coming. <laughs> so we were like, screw whatever time they give us. We're going over that. We're going to do everything under the sun. And till this day, we refer to it as the brothers yeah. match. <laughs> and that that's one of my favorite matches of all time. That's great, man. Well, last <laughs> A few thoughts. So, what was it like for you, as you mentioned, not being uh, having any conversation with Tony, and your first day of work at AW? How did that feel walking through the door? Insane. Okay, so uh, the biggest thing was I was worried because I had never, through the dealings with the lawyers and the stuff, I had never gotten actually talk to Tony. So I kept thinking, oh man, it's going to be so weird when I meet him. How did all this happen so quick? And I never even got to talk to him. Uh, but everybody that I know, which is more than half the roster here, they're like, you're going to love Tony. He's so cool. And wait till you, the show starts. You'll hear him say, let's go. And I couldn't, I couldn't wait. And uh, man, he was so cool. So cool. Right away. Um, but he wasn't the only one. Even the people that I've never met, literally, when I walked in here, it literally felt like home. There's so many people that I knew and people that I didn't know were so welcoming and like, oh, man, how are you? It's good to have you here. Like, right away. 
so yeah, that was cool. And then when they were like, oh, you're going to go out and challenge Sammy, I was a bit worried. And I remember everyone was like, you've done this a bunch of times. Why are you worried? I was so nervous. I was like, well, here's the thing. It's pay-per-view. And this is like my debut for pay-per-view. And it's not like I'm jumping ship or like, oh, did you hear the big news? <laughs> the company that I was with is just pretty much announcing that they're done. So, like, what's the big surprise? I was like, I, if I'm lucky when I go out there, I'll get, like, the golf clap. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, he found employment, you know? <laughs> that was my big fear. Uh, but when I went out there and, like, the reaction that I got. People went nuts for it. They did. And, man, it just. When I got in the locker room, my eyes were watery because, like, oh, man, that that moment meant so much to me. Because, like I said, I was like, this is pay-per-view and this is a new person arriving, but, like, I'm not that big of a deal. And, like, my company just pretty much went out of business. So it's not like this big spur of the moment. This guy just jumped ship. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, man, that's what had me so worried. And uh, But, yeah, like I said, I went out there and the crowd was so, oh, man, they went – just the reaction gives me goosebumps. And then the match you had with Sammy was great. Oh, yes. Great yes. match. And yeah. I'd never worked with Sammy before. And when I got here at Full Gear was the first time that I ever met him. So, yeah. Oh, man. This this couldn't have worked out any better for me. So, and like I said, I'm Charlie from the Charlie and the Charlie. So you got the golden ticket. Mm -hmm. So last question for you. What, do you uh, what are your plans now that you're here in AEW? Because you mentioned you're a very loyal guy. If you're good, they're good to you, you're good to them. Yeah. Obviously, you want to stay here for the long term. In the media scrum, I even said that to Tony. I said, well, now I'm here. I'm going to be here till the door is closed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's pretty much the only goal that I have is being here till the door is closed. Like if the company is good to me, I'm good to them. Um, and the wild thing is that sometimes I've been asked, well, what are your goals? What what left is there for you to do anywhere? And I've always said I've never set goals for myself ever other than wanting to win the Ring of Honor World Championship in front of my parents. That's the only goal I've ever set. Um, I didn't get a set a goal to work with or you know, meet Kurt Angle and work with him or Ric Flair or meet you multiple times and hold hands with you walking through a, <laughs> walking through a locker room. All these things kind of just happened and I've been in the right place at the right time. So if I feel like if I do set a goal, I might jinx myself. Um, so, uh, yeah, my, my, my big goal that I'm setting is um, some longevity in AEW and I'm going to be here till the doors close. That's as best I can answer that. Well, it's man. great to have you here, man. And I, I think, can't, I, I think you. you're going to become bigger than you've ever been in the business. Oh, thank and you. Hopefully one of these days we'll get a chance to have a, have a match. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, uh, That would be a dream come true. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard any of the interviews I've done, but I've done about 20 of them at least up in maybe three, four years in the making where they always would ask me, who is your dream opponent? And I, you have been on the top oh, of yeah. that on the top of that list. I, I can't. I mean, I've done so many of those that you've had to hear at least one time. But uh, yeah, well, I'm hearing it right here, right now, <laughs> from the <laughs> horse's mouth. Black Machismo versus Lars Ulrich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you're so crazy to <laughs> that. I can't believe it. <laughs> oh man.